Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Simple Church, how you guys feeling this morning? Good morning, it is. How many of you guys, first of all, my name is Aaron, I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, welcome to Simple Church. Uh, for all of our first-time guests, first of all, if it's your first time here, we're so glad that you decided to come and be with us today at Simple Church. Can we show some love to our first-time guests, give them a round of applause, say thank you for being here. We hope that, that uh, yeah, as you came today, that you received your gift bag on the way in. If not, please make sure you stop by guest services and say, hey, I want my gift bag, and they'll make sure they hook you up with that. How many of you guys have kids that went back to school last week? Yeah. Now, how many just this previous week you had your kids go back to school? That's when my kids went back to school in Reynoldsburg. How many of you guys still got kids that are going back to school next week or even later than that? Oh, so everybody in here knows what it's like, right? Look, look, I've got to be honest. I love when my kids are out for the summertime. It frees us up to do a lot of things, but I really love when they go back to school as well. Am I the only mean person in this room? <sighs> Welcome to Simple Church. <laughs> so we are in the end. We're coming to the end of, next week will be our last week, on this series called Heroes with the subtext of God of the Underdogs. And what we've been looking at is that as God chooses to do something here on earth, he always puts his hand on people and says, I'm going to choose you to do this job. And oftentimes when he does that, he puts his hand on somebody that we would consider to be an underdog, somebody that is unqualified, somebody that's discounted, discarded. These are not the people that you would choose to do a great thing. They're the people that are counted out. And God says, I'm going to use you because it's illogical. And when I use the illogical person and this great thing happens, then all you can do is point your finger at me and say that God did this, not just a great person did it. And so God chooses to use people. And all across the Old Testament, we're looking at heroes of the faith. And before they became heroes, most of them, the majority of them, were underdogs who had to overcome an excuse, their reason why they couldn't do what God asked them to do. And so in the past few weeks, we've looked at David, we've looked at Mephibosheth, we've looked at Gideon, we have even looked at Jacob, and today we're going to look at Esther. And, uh, and Esther is a woman who was faced with a critical situation and a really tough decision to make in the face of the potential eradication of her entire people group. The Jews were facing being completely wiped off the face of the earth. And so today, here's the big idea that I want you to get as we, as we go through this service today, just in case you need to leave early or you fall asleep. Here is the big idea that I want you to get. And that's that even when our chances are too slim, we serve a God who will make a way for us. Even when it looks like our chances are too slim, we serve a God who can make a way for us. So I know that all of us have been in a situation like Esther's, where we have a difficult decision to make. I'm faced with those difficult decisions on a weekly basis. Every time, and I mean every time I walk into Chipotle, I am faced with a very difficult decision to make. Because I know what I like at Chipotle, I know what I'm going to get, but I'm like, eh, I like to switch it up, right? But when you get up to that line and they say, what will you have? And you're like, oh, ah, it's, ah, it's, and they've made it easier, right? They have made it easy for you because you can't even get the carnitas right now, right? That's the pork. They're like, nope, sorry, that's off the menu. So you're like, chicken, barbacoa, or steak, which one do I get? 
And, you know, there's just something inside of me. As delicious as they are, there's something inherently unmanly about ordering the sofritas or the tofu. You know what I'm saying? So that's, like, not even an option for me. But, like, I I always think I'm going to switch it up because I always get chicken. And I get up there, and they ask me the question, and I stress out. Ah, chicken, just give me the chicken. Dang it, I did it again. Got the same thing. (laughs) Difficult decisions. You all know what I'm talking about. You're not going to Chipotle today. You're going to get barbecue at City Barbecue after, lunch, or after church today, right? Help us out there. All right. But we, but we all know what, the, what it's like. We, seriously, though, we, we do face difficult decisions and moments in our lives. Like when the boss comes in and he's, he's got this unethical thing that he wants to do and he asks you to look the other way. Or when you're dating somebody who isn't walking with Christ, like you're walking with Christ, and the more you go, go together and the more time you spend together, that gap becomes bigger and bigger. They're not following him the way you're following him. Or when you get a job in another city or another state and you begin to realize that, you know, if I decide to do this, that it's going to impact my family who's rooted and grounded, surrounded by their friends here, this is going to affect them. And so it becomes a a difficult decision that you have to make. It weighs on you heavy. So this weekend, I think it's important that we talk about Esther and the decision that she faced. And uh, as we get into this today, let me just say this, that if you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. We believe that God's Word will transform your life from the inside out, and that you need to be reading it, you need to have one. If you don't have one, we would love to gift you with one today. Just put your hand in the air just like that. A service host will give you one, or you can get one after service. Just let somebody at guest services know, and they'll retrieve one. But we're going to be in the book of Esther, and the verses will also be up on the screen today. And let me give you a little bit of background, okay, on the story of Esther, all right? So what's happened with the Jewish people is the Jewish people have kind of revolted against God. He said, God says, always says, it's my way or the highway. You can't have it your way. You can't have my blessing and live the way you want to live. And so he says, no other gods before me. And he's got all these, these things that they need to do, the people of Israel need to do. And they've disobeyed him. They've gone their own way. And so God says, I'm going to turn you over to the Babylonians. And the Babylonians come in and they take over Israel and they take all of the people captive and they take them to Babylon. And so they become slaves. And we kind of talked about this earlier this year in the series that we did on Daniel, because this is during Daniel's time. So the Babylonians come in. This is King Nebuchadnezzar, his son, and then we've also got King Darius that Daniel lives through. And we know the story, Daniel and the lion's den and all these, these things we've talked about already. So this is the time period in what's happened. And at some point in time, the Persians come in and they take over Babylon. And so now the Persians are ruling over the Jews and their slaves. And, and they say to them, you know what, we're going to let you go back. We're going to send you home back to your country. But there were some Jews that said, hey, we're already rooted here. We're already grounded here. We've got jobs. Our family is here. They all go to the schools. We we all have our places of worship. The Persians are really nice now. We're going to hang out right here. And so they didn't go back home to Israel. They stayed there among the Persians. And so this is the time period. It's it's about 478 BC is is the time period. And there is a new king of the Persians, and his name is Xerxes, or uh, Hazarus is what they call him. So he's got two different names there. Don't let that confuse you. It's the same guy. And, uh, and here's one thing that we know about this current king. When we look at the biblical text, what we know about this guy is that he likes to party. He likes, he likes to party. He likes to party. He likes. And we know he likes to party because the first thing we read about this guy is that's exactly what he's doing, right? Like my wife, when when it's her birthday in May, she really enjoys celebrating the entire month of May. Like that is her birthday month. And I think that is ridiculous, okay? (laughs) But this dude, he's got a party going on and it's not like 30 days, 30 day of party and celebration. It's 180 days of a celebration. This guy likes to party. And what is he celebrating? It's not his birthday. It's not his wedding. He didn't have a kid born. It's like nothing. 
you know what he's celebrating? I got money. He's got lots of money. And so he's like, let's just celebrate the wealth. And so he has a, a party for 180 days. Now think about that for a minute. Some of you stress out over a two-hour party that you were throwing for your kid, right? 180 days of celebrating, right? They don't have a TV show called Bridezilla's for nothing. Like, seriously, when we try to throw a festival or an event, y'all turn into some mean people and start shredding relationships and shredding yourselves. You know what I'm saying? This is 180 days. Can you imagine what all went into planning 180 days? And at the end of the 180 days of celebrating my money... He says, hey, those of you that have been serving us, that have been taking care of us, we want to throw a party for you. So he throws a seven-day banquet for the people that lived in Susa, in the citadel of Susa, right around where he was. So this is for everybody. It's from the lowest to the highest. Everybody's invited, come and eat. And his wife, Queen Vashti, does the same thing for the women. So there's two banquets going on. And at the end of this banquet, the king has had just a little bit too much to drink. he's, He's gotten a little tipsy because he likes to party. And so he's drinking. And he calls on his wife, the queen, for a little halftime entertainment, Katy Perry style. Like, he wants the whole beach balls and the sharks, and he wants her dancing with all of it. And she's like, nope, I'm not having that. I'm not even going to come. I'm over here doing my own banquet. And so the king is a little, he's a little ruffled by this. So he calls his advisors together, and he's like, what do I do? She's just embarrassed me. I just ordered her to come, and she's refused. And they said, well, we can't let this go unchecked, because if we let this go unchecked, then... Well, all the women in the countryside are going to hear about this, and they're going to revolt against their husbands. This is a bad thing. You need to make an example of Queen Vashti. And he's like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to kill her. Like, that's what, kind of what we learn about this guy. He's a fun-loving guy. You know, he wants everybody to like him. That's why he likes to party. And so he's like, I don't, I, don't, I don't really want to kill her. So they decide to banish her. So they banish her from the kingdom. And what this does is it leaves him in a predicament because now the, the slot of queen is vacant. And he needs to look for a queen. And so they decide what everybody, you know, what, what, what comes natural in a kingdom like this, when there's no queen, they're going to put on the next top model competition. Tyra Banks was unavailable at the time for this particular competition, but they did move ahead with it anyway, and, uh, and they decided to look for the next queen. And what they did was they called for the beautiful virgins of the, of the territory to come in, and of some of the girls that they picked, there was a harem. And these are, these are women servants or slaves of the kings. And of those women, there was one woman, and her name was Esther. And she was chosen to be part of the next top model competition. She was chosen of all these people. Now, here's what you need to know about Esther and why this is such a big deal that she was chosen. See, Esther was an orphan. She was somebody that was discarded by current society because any child without any parents, you had no lineage, you had no wealth, you had no money, you probably didn't have property because your parents were gone. And so you were discarded as worthless. And so here's Esther. She's an orphan. She's been adopted by her uncle Mordecai. He's taken her in and has cared for her her entire life. But she is, for all intents and purposes, she is a social outcast. On top of it all, she's also, her, her lineage, the Jewish people, used to be slaves among the Persians. And no matter whether you've been declared free or not, that history still affects you. The public eye still looks at you a certain way. And so she would have not been somebody that on the outside, everybody would have said, okay, you, your family... Your, 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 um, your ethnicity qualifies you to be in this contest. It actually would have completely disqualified her. But Esther found favor. And so that's where we pick up her story. Esther has entered in. Her uncle Mordecai says, look, this I think is your shot. Don't miss your chance here. And so he puts her into the competition. And we get to uh, the verse in, in chapter 2 and 15. It says, when the turn came for Esther, the young woman 
Mordecai had adopted the daughter of his uncle Abihail to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. Now this is even before she goes before the king. She's entered into the competition, so all the people that do hair, that do nails, everybody that she encounters, she's won favor with. Now this word favor, you either love it or you hate it. The reason you love it is because you have it. If you hate it, it's probably because you don't have it and you're jealous and you want some. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you were growing up, you were, you were either the teacher's pet or you were the person who ragged on the teacher's pet because you were jealous that they were the teacher's pet, if you're being honest, because they had favor. Or when you were growing up, you knew whether you were the favorite kid or not. You know what I'm talking about? Whether you were the favorite, the, the favorite of all your sibs, you knew because the, the favorite got more grace, got better gifts. Mom and dad used their name as passwords for their email accounts. You know what I'm saying? This is favor. And so you, you know what, it, what it's all about. Well, I remember there's been times God has graced me with so much favor in my life. But there was this one particular time. People get mad when you have favor, when you're blessed with favor, right? They get a little upset. And this, this one time, I almost got in a fist fight with this guy over, over the favor that I had. It's ridiculous. We went to a movie. I can't remember what it was, but I do remember it being one of those big movies. And it had to be because there was a long line. These people had been waiting like 45 minutes to see this movie. It's like opening night, so it's like a late night flick, right? And we get in line, and we, we go to buy our tickets, and we knew the guy working behind the counter, and he's like, here, passes are on me. Favor. That's nice. That's cool. But that's, nobody saw that happen, you know. We stood in line like everybody else to go buy our tickets, and they gave them to us free. That was nice. And then we went and stood in line, and we're waiting in line with this really long line of people, and there's one dude at the front of the line. He is, like, beaming. You can tell he is stoked that he's the first person in line. He's going to be the first person on the first night of the opening movie to get in and see it. And he's, like, updated his Facebook status. He's taking a picture with the long line behind him. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is that guy. I don't even think Facebook was around then. But anyway, so <laughs> neither here nor there. He, he's standing at the front of the line, and the guy who gave us the free tickets, he got freed up from the counter, and he sees us standing in the line. He says, hey, come here. I want to... He calls us to the front of the line. He says, I want to show you something. And you can see the dude in the front line. You know, he is standing behind a tensor barrier, and that is all that is keeping him there. But he is, like, mad. He's like, because he calls us past the front of the line, and he walks us down, and he heard him say, just want to show you something. So so we we just walk with him, and he walks us into the theater ahead of everybody. Favor. And we walked in, and we found our favorite seats. Favor. And you could see it, buddy, he, that dude that was at the front of the line, he came walking in the movie theater, he was bopping, and he turned around that corner and saw us sitting there, and he locked eyes with us, and that was done. He was madder than a hornet. He was so upset that we were in the theater because he was supposed to be the first guy in. He was the first guy in line. He starts mouthing off to us, oh, yeah, just got to show him something, huh? Couldn't wait in line like the rest of us, huh? And was just mad, mad at the favor that we had experienced. He continued to mouth us the entire time. It was ridiculous. I was glad I had a big dude with me because I'm a lover, not a fighter. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I got popcorn and money. Which do you want? You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and so I had a big dude with me. We were good to go. <laughs> but, but, but we have favor. And why do people hate it? I don't know. Haters going to hate. What can you say about that, right? They say that a moment of favor is worth years of work. A moment of favor Look, you can work your hardest to get that job. You can work your hardest to make that resume look really great and pay lots of money to get it look really nice. And that person who knows the guy doing the interviews will get the job over you every single time. Why? It's not about what you know. It's who you know. Favor. And so Esther, Esther has favor. 
And one of the qualities of, of favor is that it's intangible. If you can't touch it. You can't see it. It's not a perfume she sprayed on herself. It's not something, a magic amulet she wore about her neck or something she had in her pocket, something she could say, look how much favor I have. Look, and you know, you can't pull it up on an app on your phone and show. Like, there's no way to, to get or share or give favor. Like, you, you don't know. It's one of those intangible things. It's not a natural thing. It's more of a, of a supernatural thing. And Esther had this intangible. That's the first thing that we can learn about Esther. The thing that qualified Esther was not what she had in the natural, but what she had in the supernatural. This is those things that you can't see. And when we dive into Scripture, we find that favor is something that is bestowed upon us by God. That's a supernatural thing. And when we read the story of Jesus, we find Jesus in the tabernacle. We we hear about his birth, and then we hear about him at age 12, and then we don't hear anything about him until age 30. And there's this little thing that fills the gap of Jesus' life, and it says, he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. That's that's the story of our Lord right there. If you don't know Jesus, I'll introduce him to him later, okay? And so Esther was beautiful, but so were many of the women that she was with. They all had the same hairstylist. They all had the same people painting their nails, or their hair is did, their eyes are made up. Like they are all looking great. They all smell great. What is it about Esther that would have turned the head of the king? She had favor. God was at work in her life. He had put his hand upon her and given her favor. It was that something extra that the rest of the girls had. Because in the natural, again, Esther should not have been the one to be chosen. She was not from the right family. She was not from the right nationality. There was nothing that about her that should have qualified her. She looked just like everybody else. But there was something more going for her than what was in the natural. God was working for her. And I think we can see that in our lives too, like that job application. Why is it on the top of the stack over everybody else's? Because of favor. You would say, because of my past mistakes, I shouldn't be enjoying my relationships right now. I shouldn't have prosperity in those relationships. But, but you have favor. Your financial state should not look the way that it does given the current economic conditions, but you have favor. It's something supernatural that is happening in your life, and you can't even begin to explain it because on paper it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Because there's more going on in the supernatural that has nothing to do with the natural. See, the natural is what you can see, what you can touch, what you can hold on to. But the natural doesn't hold a stick to what the invisible God is doing in your life and on your behalf. It just doesn't hold a stick to it. So Esther had supernatural favor, this intangible. And I think that we need to begin to believe that God has given us uh, intang- that intangible favor as well. He's at work in our lives as well. So Esther enters the competition, and she goes before the king. In verse 17, it says, Now the king was attracted to Esther more than, uh, more than any of the other women. And she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Through this process, Esther gets chosen. She finds favor with the king, and he chooses her and says, I'm going to make you my queen. I'm going to make you my queen. I'm going to put the crown on your head. This is it. Done. And so Esther now has this incredible confidence in her heart and in her life. She, who was once discarded, who was once a throwaway, who didn't have any parents, is now being honored and is being chosen. She knows what this feels like because she's been adopted once, and here she is again. Somebody who has no worth, intrinsic value of herself, but she has this favor, supernatural gift that God has given her. He's chosen her. And being chosen gives her confidence. 
And I think that's the second thing that we can learn from Esther. Esther had confidence because she was chosen. We all like to be chosen, don't we? I know I like to be chosen. I love that my wife has chosen me. I love that she chooses to love me every day. I love that feeling. We all loved when we were in, in, in middle school or, or even younger than that, in elementary. Like, I'm not really the athletic kind. I'm, I'm just not. I never was. But I know what it's like to be chosen. <laughs> like, like cho- we don't like to be chosen last, but chosen last is better than not being chosen at all, right? Like, getting down to the last of the pickings, and they go, no, we're good. We don't want you. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a horrible feeling, right? Aaron, why would you say those things? Well, because it maybe happened once or twice to me. I'm not sure. But anyway, so we like to be chosen. And when we're chosen, it gives us confidence. When you're the first one chosen for the kickball team, that feels good, doesn't it? It's like, yeah, yeah. I was the first one. Maybe that's why that guy was upset in the movie theater, because he wasn't the first. But we, but we like to be chosen. When you got asked to prom in high school, man, that felt good, right? You were chosen. Your friend comes up and says, hey, I got a question for you. And you're like, look, let me stop you right there, okay? I've already done been asked to the prom. I appreciate you. And we're friends and all, but no, that's not happening. And your friend just looks at you and says, yeah, I just wanted your notes from science. That would be great. <laughs> Awkward. But that's confidence, right? It gives, you, it gives you confidence being chosen. And there's nothing like that. There's nothing like that feeling of being chosen. But the opposite is true. It really hurts to not be chosen. I'd say across this room, there's quite a few of you that understand what it's like to be rejected. Maybe as a kid, maybe, maybe, maybe you come from a broken home and you understand what it's like that mom or dad wasn't there. And you, you took the blame of that upon yourself. You felt like, well, I'm not good enough and they didn't choose to be here for me. They didn't choose to, something I've done has pushed them away and they haven't chosen me. You know what that feels like. And even though there's nothing that can be further from the truth than that, you can't shake that feeling of being rejected. For Esther, she was, she was chosen. And long before the king chose her to be his bride, there was another king who had chosen her. The king of kings, the lord of lords. She had a heavenly king who had chosen her. He had put his hand on her and said, you're going to be mine. I'm going to love you. I'm going to use you. I'm going to bless you. He had chosen her. And you need to hear me today that like Esther, God has chosen you. We have been chosen by the king, and he has a purpose for you. He has plans to use you to do something in this life that no one else can do. Period. You need to begin to believe that, and you need to let that chosen reality birth confidence in you today that God wants to use you. So as we go through our story, Esther becomes queen, and her uncle becomes her advisor. He comes by and he sees her every single day. And he talks to Esther. He waits at the gate for her. And Esther comes by for her visit with Mordecai. And he advises her on what's going on. She shares what's happening in the palace. And he begins to to confide in her. And one day, as he's waiting on Esther, as Mordecai is waiting on Esther to arrive, he runs into two guys who have a plot and a plan. In verse 21 of chapter 2, it says, During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. Here's these two guys with a name like Big Thana. Like, he sounds like a thug, doesn't he? Like, Big Big is in his name. You know what I'm saying? That's Thana. No, it ain't. That's Big Thana. Have you seen him? He's a big boy. (laughs) So these two guys conspire against the king, and they're, they're, they're plotting to kill him. And so Mordecai overhears this, and so 
When Esther arrives, he says, you need to go and tell the king. You need to go share this with the king and tell him that his life is in danger. And so Esther goes to the king on behalf of Mordecai and says, my uncle overheard this. This is what he heard happening. And as the king began to investigate, he found the conspiracy to be true. And so he took those two and he hung them. He actually impaled them on a pole, which is what hanging meant during that day. So here's the third thing we can learn about Esther. Esther had God working behind the scenes on her behalf. God had orchestrated a series of events to place her into a specific position of favor. He had allowed all this to happen. The exile into Babylon. All of it. Everything to happen. The conspiracy against the king. Esther being chosen in the competition. To position her for greater favor with the king. God was working on behalf of her in ways that no one could see. I think some of us, when we look around our life and we look around our circumstances, we don't understand what's going on. And our temptation is that maybe it's in our relationship or it's, it's at work or it's at school, but our temptation is to shake our fist and demand to God, what is happening right now? Are you even at work in my kid's life? Are you working on my spouse's heart? Are you even aware of what's happening at work right now? We shake our fists in rage. What is happening? Why have you allowed all this to happen? But I'm here to encourage you today that God is at work even when you can't see it. He is at work even when you can't see it. He is orchestrating things that will be for your benefit. The Bible says that God is at work in all things for those who serve him. He's at work in all things. What does that mean, Aaron? It means in this moment right now. It means in the moments you've experienced prior to now. It means in the moments that you will experience after this one. God is at work in all things. And it's for your benefit. It is for the good of those who serve him. And we need to begin to believe that because when we believe that, we get ignited by God's purposes at work in our lives. Even when it's a crappy situation, we can go, man, God's at work in this? All right, where are you at, Lord? Where are you at? We can be encouraged by that. And he promises to do that. It's not just me promising God's word. God promises in his word that he is at work in every situation that you're facing. You know, before we launched, before we went looking for a building, uh, God was at work for us. On launch day, many years ago, before we, before we had our team meetings, like before we started planning out our children's ministry, there was a day in November 2012 that our church, our, our home church, C3, brought us up on stage, brought our team up on stage and said, this is, this is Aaron, and they're going to go launch a church. And they're calling it Simple Church. And I got to get up there and give, give our little speech about what we were going to do, and it was at the end of that service that a young woman walks up to me. She hands me a check and her business card, and she says, just wanted to bless you financially, also wanted to welcome, to welcome you to Reynoldsburg. I said, oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I looked down at her business card, and her name was April, and April worked at Cotner Funeral Home. And I said, well, there is absolutely nothing she can do for me, so I just put that in my wallet. That's a true story. True story. I sent her an email and thanked her for her financial gift and, and prayed for her that week and asked her if there was anything I could pray for her. But that, but that was the end of my relationship with April. And so we, we launched out, and, and I remember we, we went knocking on all kinds of doors asking, hey, can we hold church here? Hey, can we pay you? This place has been vacant for two years. Can we come into this strip mall? Can we take over this Hooters building? Can we take over this, this, this building that nobody wants? The Mulholland Brewery. Can we have that? It's now the Rev Cafe on Main Street. Can we have that? 
I asked him for it, actually, because it was in such a mess. Whenever the money they wanted, I said, how about you just give it to me? I'm a 501c3. I laughed. He laughed. And then we never talked again. That was true. <laughs> That's a true story. That's a true story. But, but it was discouraging to me. It shook me on the inside because rejection shakes you, right? And I was like, God, I began to doubt my, my calling. Like, did you really call me to plant a church here in Reynoldsburg? Did you really? Because... Honestly, if you called me to this city for such a time as this, if, you, if this was my purpose, wouldn't people just be saying yes? Wouldn't I find favor? So I was having dinner with some pastors, some local pastors, sharing my plight. This was, we were supposed to launch in May, and I think it was February. We still didn't have a place. And I was having lunch or dinner with, with some pastors, and they were sharing with me about how well, years ago, back in the 80s, they, they had launched from, from Cotner's Funeral Home. That they used to hold service there. And I said, what? They said, yeah, Cotner's. So I called up April. I said, I still got that business card somewhere. And I called up April. And April brought us in, and, and you just wouldn't believe what God had been working on for us. See, even though we had had every door shut in our face, he was working behind the scenes for us. See, April showed up the first day. The moment we said, I'm going to step out and we're going to be a church, April was there. Didn't even know that was my resource. Didn't, didn't even know that's who God had called to be in my life. No clue. Discarded. That's not my place. Funeral home? God, come on. Really? And guess where we wound up? In a funeral home. Because God had plans to bless us. We didn't pay a dime in rent. We didn't pay a dime in utilities. They blessed us for a year and a half. And allowed a church to illogically launch in a funeral home. You know God's up to something when he starts a church in a funeral home, amen? And here we are today. God was at work in the intangibles, in the supernatural, in ways that we couldn't even imagine. We were ready to spend money, and God was like, nope, I got other purposes for that. You hold on to that, and I'm just going to bless you. I'm going to prepare a way for you. And April was part of that story. It, it just blows my mind. There have been way too many God coincidences along the way for this church for us to think that we've arrived. We're doing what God's called us to do, that God has fully revealed his glory in what this church is supposed to do. I don't believe that. I believe that God's got a bigger purpose and that he's revealing it. Step by step, day by day, week after week, God is revealing to us what he wants us to do. He has given us way too much favor in this community. He has stacked the deck in way too many ways for us. To believe that we've reached the pinnacle of what this church is going to do. I believe that he's yet to reveal all that he wants to do in us, through us, and for us in this community, in this church. Isn't it exciting to be a part of that? Isn't it exciting to be a part of, there is something happening here that you can't even begin to imagine. Oh, gets me excited. I'm going to listen to this message later this week and just encourage myself. It's good. It's good. I believe it. <laughs> but God is at work in your life even when you can't see it. He's at work. He's working on your behalf. So in Esther's story, you need to fast forward five years. She's helped save the king through Mordecai's story. And there's a guy who over these five years has come to power underneath the king. And his name is Haman. And during this time period, he and Mordecai, Esther's uncle, kind of get into it. And Haman's really got it out for him. Like he hates Mordecai really bad. He wants to kill him. In fact, when he finds out he's Jewish, he's like, let's just eradicate this whole group of people. Forget these guys. They got this to go. They're all over. They're everywhere. Doing a little research, he finds out that they are happily living amongst them. Let's just get rid of these guys. So Haman goes to the king, 
He says, listen, the Jews have got to go. Now, the king did not realize that his wife was Jewish. No idea that Esther, Queen Esther, was Jewish and from that people. He got her from the harem. She was a servant girl, a slave. So he says okay to it. So in a year from that date, from January 13th to December 13th, on December 13th, all the Jews were to be eradicated. And so an order is issued across his kingdom to every province, to every city, to every area. All those leaders were to, to wipe out the Jews from among them. Mordecai catches wind of it. And he's upset, tears his clothes and sits in sackcloth and ashes. He's distraught. And he goes to Esther and he says, Esther, he actually he didn't even go. He sent a message to her. He wouldn't even go up to the king's, king's gate. He says, don't you know what's happened? All of your people are going to be eradicated. And Esther is faced with a difficult decision. Because Mordecai says, you've got an audience with the king. You have the opportunity. Why don't you go to him? Just explain to him our situation. Tell him about your heritage. Tell him what he's going to do. Tell him what Haman's plans are. Plead for our lives. Plead for yours. And Esther is brought to a crossroads, a place where she needs to make a decision. Hard decision at that. See, why is this a hard decision? Just go to the king and talk. Well, see, you and I would say that. In our relationships, that's the case. I see my wife multiple times a day. I can text her. I can call her. We sleep in the same room. We wake up in the same room. I can go anywhere I want. Some of you don't even care about, like, personal space and will visit your spouse in the bathroom. Like, that is, no. That's like, that's, there's a limit there, okay? Draw a line. But all of you have access to your spouses all the time. But that was not the case during her day. Esther could not approach the king. If she approached the king without him calling for her, if he didn't raise his scepter the moment she stepped into his courts, she could die. Her life would be finished. She didn't find favor. And so Esther realizes this is tough. If I go before him because there's nothing on the calendar where I get to go see him, I don't know of the next time he's going to call for me. I'm, I'm clueless. I can't wait for that. I need to tell him now. How do I do that without risking my own life? So Mordecai and she begin to have a conversation about what that looks like. And in Esther 4, 13 through 14, he sends back, this is, this is an answer that's happening, modern day text message, but over messages between messengers and Esther and Mordecai. And he sends back this answer, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. In other words, they're going to find out and they're going to kill you anyway. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance from the Jews will arise from another place. He believed that because God has always had a remnant of people, people that were left over. He would never wipe out the Jews completely, and Mordecai knew that. He said, if you bail on this, that's fine. Here's your out. But know that I don't believe you'll be spared, and that I know that God will do this another way. But this is your chance. And he says to her, but you and your father's family will perish, and who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai puts it on Esther. He puts a choice on her and says, you know what, who knows? Maybe you've, maybe you've risen to power because of this situation. I say that a lot to people. They come to me and they grumble and they complain. I had one of my friends come to me and say, Aaron, you don't understand the mistakes I've made in my past. Now I've got to go to this counseling and... <sighs> You know, I've already asked God to forgive me. I'm not living that way anymore. Why do I have to do this counseling, stupid courts? They get mad. And I looked at this one, uh, the, the guy who was telling me this, this friend, and I said, well, how do you know that God didn't put you in the middle of this so that you could minister to somebody in counseling? Who knows? 
Who knows why you're in the middle of something you don't want to do or a place you don't want to be or a circumstance you don't want to be involved in. Who knows? Maybe God's put you there so that you can be a light for somebody. Because who knows? That's a great question. What are you facing? What situation are you in that you're like, ah, I really wish I could get out of this? Who knows? Could be you. Could be you that you are the answer to their prayer. And God is just allowing you to go through some junk so that you can be a light for someone else. Oh, that ignites you with purpose, doesn't it? Gets you excited. Does me. You mean God will use me in the middle of this? Yeah, absolutely. I'll bet he'd even let you go through it just so he could get you to that person who needs him. And they need you. Just a thought. It's not even in my notes. Let's get back to my notes. So Esther decides to make the right choice. She says, I'm not doing this alone, so we're going to tap into the supernatural here. I'm going to fast. Me and my servants are going to fast for three days. Mordecai, I want you and all the Jews to fast with me. And so they fast for three days, and Esther decides to take her life in her hands. She goes before the king, and the moment she stepped into the court, that was the deciding moment for her as to whether her life would end or she would find favor. And the king extended his golden scepter, which meant it's cool. He was happy to see her. He calls her in front of him. He responds in this really weird way. He's like, Esther, welcome. Hey, I'm so happy to see you. Look, I'll give you anything up to half of my kingdom. Like, what a weird way to respond. I've actually tried that at my house. I've used it with my wife. And uh, the, the, the danger in using that is you only get to use it twice. So, you, you know, be really careful how you move forward. I tried to use it this week. And uh, I said to her, I'll give you up to anything up to half of my kingdom. She said, I've already got all your kingdom, babe. You're out of those, those choices. <laughs> It's a true story. We're weird people. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but he responds. He says, I'll give you up to anything of the half of my kingdom. And what Esther decides to do is to tap into what she knows about her king, is that he likes to party. He likes, he likes to party. And so she says, I want you to come to a banquet. I want you to come eat with me. I'm going to throw a party. And I want you to invite Haman. So the king comes back the next night, and he goes to the party. And he looks at her and he says, okay, hey, we're here. This food was great. This was awesome. What do you want from me? Up to half of my kingdom. And she says, now I'm not sure in this moment if she chickened out. I have no idea why she would ask this. But she goes, come back tomorrow night. I'll throw you another banquet. And he's like, okay. And she says, hey, invite Haman. Make sure he's there. Haman's like, great. That's awesome. Maybe she wants to honor me. Why is she inviting me? Haman's the guy who hates the Jews. He's ordered the death of all of them. He doesn't know she's Jewish. So in the meantime, Haman goes home that day and he tells his family, look, I think I'm getting ready to be honored. This is really awesome. And, but that Mordecai, he's really just, oh, he's just getting to me. And they said, well, let's build some gallows. Let's just hang Mordecai. Let's impale him and let's be done with it. He says, that's a great idea. Build the gallows. So they build him and Haman goes back to the dinner the next night and they eat. And the king looks at her and says, hey, this has been great. But I know you want something. And the Antissa... Patient is killing me. What do you want? What can I give you? This is where we pick up the next verse. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life, this is my petition, and spare my people, this is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet, but... No such distress would justify disturbing the king. She says, hey, 
my people are getting ready to be wiped out. If we were just being sold into slavery, I wouldn't have said anything. But everybody's getting ready to be killed. I'm pleading with you for my life. And the king is just completely flabbergasted. What in the world? Who's, who's doing this? Who would threaten your life? He has no idea that his wife is Jewish yet. Who would threaten your life? Who would do such a thing? And Haman's like, yeah, who would do that? That's dumb. And she's like, that guy. And she points at Haman. He's wicked. He wants to destroy all of my people. In that moment, imagine you're Haman. Uh Uh-oh. The queen's Jewish. Oh. This is a mistake. This is a mistake. Oh, please don't find out about the gallows. And so the king, realizing that Haman has ordered the decree and that he's sealed with his ring, uncertain that he's confused, needs consulting, he's upset, he's mad, and he gets up and he leaves the table and he goes out into the garden. He's probably going to cool off. I'm not really even sure what he's doing out there, but we know that he leaves the table. Haman realizes this is his moment because now Queen Esther is in a position to spare his life because he's been identified as the guy who's put his hand on the life of the queen, the favored queen, the beloved queen, Esther. He begins to plead for his life, and he falls down on his knees, and he's so desperate that he even leans himself on the couch where she is and begins to paw at her, and when the king comes in, he sees Haman with his hands on Esther. He calls the guards and says, would you even attack my wife in my own house? guards take him away and he says what do I do with him and he finds out that Haman had built the gallows for Mordecai he says hang him on him so they impaled Haman and his life was taken and he said promote Mordecai bring him in here he's going to take Haman's spot isn't it amazing that when the enemy comes against you that God will orchestrate it so that the thing the thing that he tried to trap you with is what he gets hung up in himself oh it's a good thing oh yeah got him like those moments. And Esther and Mordecai usher in an era and a time of peace for the Jews, where they receive favor and blessing in a way that they have never experienced it before. She would forever alter the path of a people because she made a hard decision. She faced that decision at those crossroads and trusted God with the details. Now, if you've been paying attention, I've been mentioning that, that this story is all about the Jews. And if you follow the bloodline of the Jews all the way down, because Esther made a decision, she saved a whole group of people. And if you follow the bloodline of the Jews, you follow it to one man, Jesus. And one man that came from that bloodline, that, that bloodline that was saved by one person's decision to face a hard choice and do the right thing, one man would save the world. God is working. You may not be able to, in your life, be able to pull back and see the big timeline and see the big picture. All you can see is right here, and you're like, man, this stinks. But God is at work. The decision you make could alter an entire timeline, change the destiny of a people. I know that as you've if you would be willing to search your own life, and probably as we've been talking about tough decisions, you've probably been able to identify some in your life. You're like, oh, please, Aaron, don't look at me. Don't make this about me. Let's talk about Esther. You all are facing difficult things in your life, facing difficult decisions. And those decisions can be polarizing. You're frozen. 
you don't know what to do. You say, well, if I don't make a decision, then, then I don't have to move. But indecision is also a decision. And then oftentimes it's the wrong decision. I mean, because honestly, as we look across our lives, it's not the easy decisions that defined us, is it? It's the difficult ones that we had to make. It's the ones when it was hard that define who we are in our lives. You know, some of you, I know God's been stirring your heart about something. It may not be a life and death situation like it was for Esther, but it, but it may be that you need to give life to somebody else by serving them. Maybe God's been calling you to bless somebody with something. I have no idea. Or maybe, maybe, it, is, maybe it is death, but not death in the way that you think. Death of your, some of your personal time. Death of some of your desires, some of the things that you want. You have to sacrifice some of those things to be able to follow after how, how God is leading you to live. It may mean trusting God for the details and leaning into what he's leading you to do, what he's stirring your heart to do today. Some of you, maybe it's to get involved here at the church. We've been talking about it, children's ministry and other areas of the ministry. They're available here. And you feel God stirring you, and week after week, you're like, no, that's, that's not for me. That's going to cost me too much. Or I've, I can play in the band, but man, that would have to, I'd have to sacrifice Wednesday nights. Ah, it's a bit too much, Jesus. I know you died for me. That's a little rough for me, though, a few hours. I'm just saying. Or maybe, maybe it's, it's that you're in a relationship right now that has moved outside of the blessing of God. Maybe you're, maybe you're in that relationship right now. And it's, it's not in a place that you're honoring God. Maybe you need to make a decision about that. Others of you, maybe it's trusting God with your finances. Maybe God's been leading you to jump on board and tithe and to give. And you're like, man, I really wish I could do that, but... Um, ah. Or maybe you've been toying with with something or someone from your past. And you know where that path leads. You know where going to those places and doing those things leads, and yet you're toying with it. And it's time to shut the door on that relationship or that place or that thing. Maybe it's time to change your phone number. It's time to stop going to those places. It's time to stop returning those calls. You have a tough decision to make. I don't know what it is in your life. I don't know where God is leading you. But I know that Esther changed the world. She changed her world. And in the bigger picture, she changed the world because she faced a difficult decision and she made that decision. I want to challenge you today to lean into whatever it is God is stirring your heart to do. So don't walk away from it because you just never know whose life will be impacted by it. Amen? Let's pray. You know, today some of you are here and I'm, I'm well aware that everybody in this place is at a different different spot in their spiritual journey. There's others of you that have recently begun it. There's others of you that have been serving Christ for a long time. You're familiar with his ways. But there's others of you, you've, you've never made that difficult decision that I'm going to repent. That means turn away from your ways and to turn towards his. Well, we may have said a prayer, but we never fully surrendered all. Maybe, maybe when the opportunity has been presented to you in the past, you've said, no, Aaron, I'm not, I'm not going to make that decision. I'm going to say no. But today you are at a crossroads. Today you are being offered an opportunity to confess that your way has led to brokenness and being lost. And maybe you've pushed this decision back for a number of reasons, but today you can accept Christ. You can choose today to begin a relationship that will awaken his plans for you. It will awaken purpose in you. It will ignite within you a passion 
for life as you live it for him. Today you'd say, Aaron, I want to be counted in on that prayer. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. How do I do it? Simple. It's a conversation we call prayer. And that prayer, I'll give you the words to it. And if you'd like to be counted in on that prayer, if you would just shoot up your hand right now, do it now. Put your hand in the air right now. Do it now. Say, Aaron, that's me. Count me in on that prayer. Thank you. This begins that relationship. It begins your turning away from self and turning towards him. It begins a brand new life that he promises in Christ. So I'm going to give you the words now. You need to pray them and mean them in your heart. You can say them out loud or you can say them inside, however you want to, but you need to mean it. It says, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose from the dead so that I could have a new life. Give me your Holy Spirit. Show me how I'm supposed to live for you. I turn away from my ways. I turn away from the way that I've done things because I just messed it up. Forgive me. And if you'll show me how to live for you, I'll spend every day being obedient to your voice. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And Father, right now I pray for the rest of this congregation, for the hard decisions that they are facing, Lord, for that thing that you've stirred in their heart, no matter what it is. I pray, God, for your favor upon them as they move forward. I pray that you would give them wisdom so they understand how to navigate it, for your grace that will be needed along the journey, for your guidance and boldness to step in the right direction. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with faith and joy as we pursue your purposes for our lives. Lord, let that be the strength that we need to push forward. We need you, Jesus. We need you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.